we visited John chapter 3 the last couple of times. And today we're going to do another very familiar passage and see if we can just uh, dig a little into it. Sometimes the most familiar things uh, we see the least because they're so familiar. And so we're going to take a fresh look uh, from the Sermon on the Mount today, if you'll turn to uh, Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to do this uh, chapter, I I think all of this will be so familiar you might know it by heart. And we're going to ask some questions that maybe we hadn't thought of before. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Hey, let me remove that speck from your eye. And look, a plank's in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there's few who find it. Okay, all very familiar. So, I just want to start with verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What do we call this? We call this do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he says. The golden rule, it's the golden rule. This is the most basic of all uh, biblical things, right? And this is the law and prophets. What's the two greatest commandments? Love God, love others, right? The two greatest commandments. And here it is. So, love others. This is the law and the prophets. This is what all sums it up. But what's the first word in that sentence? What's the first word in verse 12? Therefore. So anytime you see a therefore, what are you supposed to do? See what it's there for. Yeah, that's right. So why does it say therefore? Therefore, love others or treat others like you want to be treated. Therefore. Well, let's just start tracking up the immediate context and look and see. Okay, uh, uh, if you give good, no, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then God will give good gifts to you. Therefore, love others as you, or treat others like you want to be treated. Does that, does that fit? It, that seems pretty awkward to me. Um, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. Therefore, treat others like you want to be treated. Does that, does that, that, that does, those two things don't really go together, do they? Um, don't give what's holy to the dogs or cast your pearl before swine. Therefore, treat 
treat others like you want to be treated. Does that fit? Does, does that follow? So I, so I, that doesn't follow for me either. So I'm looking at this and saying, why does it say therefore? Well, here's what I think it is. I think the therefore goes back to verse 1, verse 2. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be measured back to you. So what's that saying? God is going to judge us based on what? Well, our works. But what does this verse say? How we judge others. Okay. So I think of this as I come up to the judgment seat of Christ. He says, oh, there's Tim. Okay, I've got this guy here and I'm going to judge him. Bring out the standards that he wrote for us that we're going to judge him by. Out comes the book. Well, here's how you treated Rob. So I'm going to treat you accordingly. Here's how you treated Zach. I'm going to treat you accordingly. Here's how you treated Brooks. I'm going to treat you accordingly. You know, the first time I ever really... I'm, I, I tend to be pretty exacting on other people. I admit it. The first time I read this, I, I promise you, the first time I really understood what he's saying, I promise you, I started giving people way more slack the very next day. Because I like to be given slack myself, you know? Uh, because we're this is the way we're going to be judged. We're setting our own stand. I, I love the Christmas Carol, and uh, you know Marley and Scrooge. Marley is Scrooge's partner, who's gone on before him, and he comes back to visit Scrooge, and he's got this giant chain around him, and he says, "I forged this chain in life, one link at a time." And it's sort of that way, you know. We, we we are creating this standard for ourselves. So God's going to treat us based on how we treat others. Therefore, treat others like you want to be treated. That Well, that fits pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, do we have to wait to the judgment seat of Christ to be treated by God the way we want to treat others? Don't have to, right? How does the world work? Have you noticed that most of the misery in your life were things that you seeds you planted for yourself you know if you want retribution from other people how can you make that happen how can you make that happen if you want retribution from other people for yourself huh yeah yeah be be, uh, condescending to them and, and give them retribution there'll come a time when they'll get they'll dose it back to you in in large order right uh we we, we see this all the time, really. Um, somebody in sports is a real trash talker and a, and a, and a bad person that's always uh, dirty, plays dirty. And what, what does everybody want for that person? They want them to get a dose of their own medicine, right? Uh, it's just kind of human nature that if, if someone is... If someone's doing something bad, we celebrate when it comes back. You know, Osama bin Laden went around the world killing people. 
And what did everybody do when he got killed? So we don't usually don't celebrate when people die. But everybody celebrated because he, he got for himself what he was giving out to other people. It's kind of built into us to think that way. And it goes the other way too. Cast your bread on the waters. It'll come back to you after many days. Usually, one of the things that's hard about doing good to other people is you don't get any immediate positive from that. Usually, they just take advantage of you in the time. But if you persist with it, normally, uh, you, not always, but it's typical that you'll actually start seeing benefits from that in time coming back from other people. You might even have some snotty kid that you ministered to in high school 15 years later come back and say thank you to you. You know, that, that might even happen. So, treat others, therefore treat others like you want to be treated because God has set up the world for you to get back what you planted in this life. And He set up the world where when you come to the judgment seat of Christ, you've, you've determined your own standards. Well, then what does all this other stuff have to do? Why didn't He just say, Judge not, you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you measure, you use, be measured back to you. Therefore, treat others like you want to be. How does all this other stuff fit in? He's saying a lot of other things. How does asking and knocking and all that fit into this? What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's look at that. So, why do we judge other people? What are we doing when we judge other people? Why do we judge other people? Because we're afraid. Okay, what are we afraid of? They might be different from us. Okay, so if, we want, if we're afraid because someone's different than us and we judge them, what are we trying to do? We're trying to push them away from us, right? So they can't hurt us. So we might judge other people because it gives us a sense of security. That might be one reason we judge other people. Why, why, what's another reason we might judge someone? We're evil. Well, yeah, okay. I think, I think you can't help but judge. I think that there's a right way to judge. I don't think it's saying don't judge. I mean, like... Um, don't evaluate. Don't evaluate everything in your life but or in other people's lives, but it, do it properly. Well, well, when he says don't judge here, and he talks about whatever measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. I think he's talking about God's judgment. So don't sit in the place of God would be a... So yeah, another reason we judge is because we basically think we ought to run the universe. And we ought to sit in God's chair and we ought to make things happen the way we want to happen. Yeah, you obviously aren't being nice enough to me and so I need to fix that. And you obviously aren't paying enough attention to me and I need to fix that. And you obviously don't understand that... I was, I was walking downtown Houston one time. There's one of these street preachers and he's praying. And he says, Lord... Look at their snobby faces. If they only knew who we were, they'd be giving us all their money. <laughs> I thought, I've thought about that numerous times since. And that's kind of the human condition, you know. If people just understood who I was, they would give me everything I wanted. I remember we have uh, some friends who taught their children uh, how to say please, you know, by thumping their chest and uh, before they could speak. And this one little boy kind of figured out that thump my chest means I get what I want. So he would walk around playing or whatever just thumping his chest all the time, you know. He's, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I thought, well, there's the human condition right there. That's, that's pretty good. That's kind of the way we are. I want, I want, I want, I want. 
And so we tend to judge other people because they're not giving us what we want. And we ought to be in charge because we know everything. How old do you have to be for that to start? Yeah, one, six months. I mean, pretty much the minute you hit home from the hospital, you start demanding the world center around you, right? That's the very first kind of contest you have with the little baby. So that's another reason we judge. What's another reason we judge? elevate ourselves which is kind of a subset of this we ought to be God thing so if I push you down I'm pushing myself up because I want I want to be uh, uh, esteemed and uh, yeah another thing we do is for belonging you know uh, junior high girls and boys you you use judgment what's the main judgment you use in a junior high girl click how do you what's the main judgment you have well, yeah, that's maybe the basis on which you judge, but how do you judge someone? How do you execute judgment on a fellow? Uh, exclude. exclude them. Yeah, yeah, exclusion is, and the, the males have their own version of this as well. Uh, you exclude them, and you say, you can't be a part of our group unless you do the following things. And so it's a means of controlling so you can have some belonging. So we judge in order to get our most basic human needs met our way and under our control. So let's, let's now go back through this with that in mind, that what we're talking about here is, are we going to judge discerning with what's in the best interest of my brother here? I mean, look at this plank and this speck. Um, do you like to have criticism from other people? Which is a form of judging. Do you like that? No. At, always no? Okay, basketball. You played basketball. Did you always like instruction and criticism? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Well, why sometimes? Um, Okay. Give me. Give me what it's like when it when you like it and when you don't like it. How How do you basically tell the difference? Okay, you you kind of discern whether the other person has your interest at heart or whether they're just trying to uh, use you as a pawn for their own elevation, right? If you have a coach that uh, is insecure and he's screaming at you because he's elevating himself and he doesn't actually know what he's talking about, you don't like that coach very much, right? If you If you have a coach who really wants you, you know he wants you to get better, and he's trying to get your attention so you'll stop doing something that's uh, counterproductive for your game, and he's trying to get, then you appreciate that coach, even though if it might not feel good at the time he's yelling at you, right? Well, this is it, okay? So, so we, got, we are now engaging with other people. Because this whole thing is how you treat other people. And we're engaging with other people. And typically, the way we engage with other people is to control them, manipulate them, to have our needs met in some way. That, that's centered on who? Me. That's centered on me. And what Jesus is telling us here is, when you interact with other people, be discerning. You, you, you can't go through life without be discerning. But interact with people in a way that's focused on what? What's in their best interest? Yeah, there's a commandment judge the case of the orphan and the widow, and, and you're supposed to uh, do it with their best in heart. Do their best in heart. But right here in this passage, we've got a brother who has a problem. What's his problem? He's got a speck in his eye. Uh, do specks? Have you ever had a speck in your eye? 
It gets your attention, doesn't it? You'd like to have it out, wouldn't you? Okay? And do we want does do does Jesus want us to get the speck out of this brother's eye? He does. He wants us to get it out. But what's he want us to do first? Take the plank out of our own eye. Why? So we can see, and so we can understand from that person's perspective. Okay? So what we're doing is saying, look, I've got the same problem. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit my own problem first. And if I'm seeing from the standpoint, I've got the same problem you do, I want to help you, but I'm coming from a standpoint of fellow of, of uh, similar weakness. I might even have the weakness worse than you do. And I'm coming to you from the standpoint, I want to help, and I'll help as best I can, but I've got the same problem. When someone approaches you that way, don't you usually appreciate it? And when someone approaches you from the standpoint of, you have a problem, I don't have it, and you know they do, doesn't it make you mad? So what we're really doing here, I think, is saying, let's get our focus off of me getting benefit from you, and let's flip that around and say, me get benefit from God, and then I'm going to serve you. And the first way we serve is telling somebody the truth about something that's maybe hard for them to hear. Because that's if you want, if you're going to treat others the way you want to be treated, then when you have a problem in your life that's going to create misery for you, and they can approach you on some basis where they're not being condescending or self-serving and help you avoid that, you appreciate that. However, you don't always appreciate it, and that's what this next thing talks about. So you got a brother, you want to take your own plank out so you can see their speck, then go help them with their speck. However, don't give what's holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine, lest they, the swine, trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. This is a chiasm, this poetic structure that goes A, B, C, D, E, E, D, C, B, A. It's a like a half of an X, a chi uh, letter. And this, and these things, they go... Uh, this is A, B, B, A. So the first line and the last line are the same thing. The two middle lines say the same thing. And the, in a chiastic structure, the middle part is the, is the uh, uh, most important part. So this, this chiasm is pig... I'm sorry, dog, pig, pig, dog. Okay? Don't cast your pearl before pigs... I'm sorry. Don't cast your. Uh, don't give what's holy to the dogs. The first one's dog, because what's a dog going to do if you if you feed a wild dog, hand feed a wild dog? What's he going to do? He's going to bite your hand. Okay. He'll turn and tear you into pieces. So don't 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 feed to a dog. He'll turn and tear you in pieces. Don't cast your pearls before swine. They'll just trample. They'll just trample you. Okay. So uh, the two nastiest animals in Jewish thought. I've been told, are pigs and dogs. Who's, which one's worse? Pigs. So pigs are the middle one, right? They're the emphasis is on the pig. So if you're going to tell someone about the speck in their eye and you know they don't have any interest in hearing it, what are you supposed to do? Don't say it. Just don't say it. Why? They won't receive it, they won't receive it and they'll, you'll get bit and trampled. 
Okay? And so, God, this is all about mutual benefit here. If you want to treat others the way you want to be treated, we're trying to create harmony and, and, uh, and uh, you know, belonging among each other. And so we want to tell someone about the speck in their eye in a way that helps them. But if you know they're not in a position to hear it, just keep your mouth shut. All you're going to do is just create problems for yourself and they don't want to hear. Now, this is one of the, this is one of the lessons that I learned that, uh, in my life that has saved me a lot of trouble. And what I've learned to do is just kind of drop a little just drop a little hint to somebody and if they respond to that I'll keep going down that road and if they don't I'll just quit. And I may have a lot of stuff I think they ought to hear. But if they are not going to hear then why, it's just, you're just wasting your time. The uh, uh, counseling staff at the church figured this out. They would have people come in for counseling and they would give them this comprehensive counseling and talk to them over and over again about things. Debbie knows all about this firsthand. And, uh, you know, work with them and work with them. They found that we're spending most of our time with people that we're giving comprehensive counseling to and they're not responding to it. And they realize what we're actually doing is giving them attention and giving them uh, uh, positive feedback for their dysfunctionality. So what they learned to do is ask them to do one thing. Do this and then come back. And if they wouldn't do that, and that was, a lot of them would come back without doing that thing and still want engagement. And then, no, 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 you need to do that one thing. And then we'll talk to you further. And that weeded out most of the problem. Because if somebody's not going to respond to a small thing, are they going to respond to a big change? So we're, we're talking about here, the fundamental thing is here, treat other people in a real constructive way. And we tend to treat other people in a self-serving way. Don't do that. It's not in your best interest. God first, others second. Well, so then what does ask and it will be given to you have to do with anything? Well, what are we talking about here? We're talking about how we deal with God. And God deals with us in the same way we deal with others. So it makes perfect sense if we are not to judge others but to, in order to get our needs met. How should we get our needs met? Ask for it. Ask for it. Does God want to meet our needs? He does. Uh, And he uses parenting as the example. You're evil, like you said. You're evil. But you still give good gifts to your children. I've experienced this firsthand. Uh, I've had children. A whole lot of them. And... Uh, my children wanted stuff. And um, I had one son who was particularly difficult. And uh, I, I just, I have this really etched in my memory. It was a very, uh, it was a very uh, poignant time. He was about 16. And he, he gave me this speech. Uh, now, bear in mind, this guy, this, this particular son... This whole thing of being self-focused was something that was deeply ingrained in him from nature. Uh, he actually told me one time, we were talking about basketball, and I said, you guys need to run your offense better. And he said, we don't need an offense, we just need to give me the ball. Okay. Give you the basic, you know, his basic mentality in life. So we we're 16, we're sitting across the, uh, the lunch counter from one another, and he says, you're smothering me. 
I've got to have my freedom. I don't have any freedom. You're killing me. So that escalated, as you might uh, expect, into a very uh, uh, terse conversation. Uh, my wife was over in the corner kind of, you know, covering up her head because we were going after it. And uh, I took him in his room and I said, uh, now in our family, when the boys uh, hit 18 and graduated from high school, they got whatever money was coming to them and they're on their own. Okay, And the speech I gave them was, um, I love good investors. If you invest this wisely, come back and see me. If you go buy a sports car and blow it all, that'll be a great lesson too, but don't call me back. You're not getting any more. This is it. I recommend you go to college with this, but if you want to go do something else, it's up to you. You're a man now. You make your own decisions. We're rooting for you. We'll do anything we can do to help you except give you any more money. This is it. This is all you're getting. Good luck. Okay? And so he's 16. He's two years away from this time. He knows it's coming, but self-focused people don't tend to be real long-thinking people. So I sat down with him and I said, look, let me tell you what freedom is. Freedom is you pay the bills. You pay the rent. You buy the food. You cook your food. You pay for your own car. You buy your own insurance. You buy your own gas. That's freedom because freedom comes with responsibility. You don't want freedom. You want a gravy train. And if I could give you the freedom now... I I think I'd do it. But it's not time for you to have your freedom. But in two years, you're getting your freedom. And I can't wait because you're going to learn what it really means. And and I saw his eyes. They go, whoop. They turn into allies all around. And I saw it in his head. Oh my gosh, it's only two years away and I'm on my own. And you know, we didn't have that much problems from that point forward. We kind of got along real good at that point. Because okay? he, he realized something really important. Well, what was he doing? He was asking. He was knocking. And what did he want, really? Did he really want his freedom? He didn't really want his freedom. He wanted, to, he wanted the authority with no responsibility. Does life work that way? It does not. Lots of people would like to have that. So I gave him his freedom, but not when he wanted it, and not in a way where he couldn't handle it. Well, I think that's kind of what God is telling us here in this passage is we as parents do the best we can and we screw up a lot, right? We don't really know what's in the child's best interest. We just do the best we can. God knows. So if He knows, then why does He say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking? Why doesn't He say, just ask me, I'll give it to you just the way you want it when you want it? Because that would hurt it. He's got our best interest at heart, right? What does this whole thing start off with? Don't judge other people to get your needs met because you're not the center of the universe and you don't know what's best. I do. I know what's best. Ask me. If I say no, what does that tell you? That's not in your best interest right now. I have a constitution almost just like this difficult son that we, I just talked about. Because I, I could kind of read his mind growing up because I'm almost just like him. So um, I want a lot of stuff too. And I ask God for a lot of things. It's kind of funny. I made a list here. 
I asked God many times when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, to be a contemporary Christian rock musician. <laughs> I was a uh, lead guitar player in a band. I was actually pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, we, we, we had our band and we played. Uh, you know, I think God is really funny. He's got a fantastic sense of humor. I've started kind of, I've started kind of seeing it. Sometimes I laugh out loud and say that was a good one. Well, one good one in my life is he said, "No, you don't want that," which is totally right. I know what that lifestyle is like now. I would have hated it. Uh, but you know what he did? He gave me a son that was a contemporary Christian rock musician. Isn't that hilarious? I really think he has a great sense of humor. And this son had zero interest in being something like that. I mean, we made him take uh, fiddle lessons and stuff. And, you know, he's like, why do you have to make me do this? I'd rather be playing Legos or something. And uh, so we made him do that. And so he went on a mission trip when he's 14. And the uh, worship guy that was playing the guitar and singing all the girls were in love with him and wanted to hang around him. And he said, that's me. <laughs> that's how he started down that path. Okay, Kind of keeping in the theme of the day, right? So, I, it's, and God took that and redirected it into something that's pretty cool. So, I, asked, I, I didn't ask, think, think I asked God to be a baseball player. I dreamed of it when I was a kid. I I know some people here through the church who are uh, professional baseball players. There isn't a life I can think of I would have hated much more than that life. I just am not been made out to be that. I, I interviewed to be in the nuclear navy, to be a, 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 a nuclear reactor engineer, and you know, I have an engineering degree. And I thought, well, I'll serve my country if there's something they need that I can do. And I went and interviewed for this. There's a guy named Admiral Hyman G. Rickover who started the nuclear navy. He was basically a fossil by the time I talked to him. He was, he was uh, almost as old as Al here, but uh, he was... <laughs> and, you know, and I was rejected. I was rejected. I was really bummed out about it. And I was really... I've, I've, that interview process was really intense. I learned an immense amount from it. It was great benefit to me. But that, that didn't. They were right. I didn't fit that. I was, I, I, I'm just, I'm not that kind of person. I wanted to go to law school. I decided, uh, I, was, I got admission to uh, tech law school. And, uh, and, I, and I was applied to UT Law School. And I was early admission. I was on my way. And, and, and uh, we got pregnant with our first child. So I thought, yeah, man, I just don't know if I want to do this. And so I decided, kind of threw out a fleece. If I get admitted to UT, I'm going to go anyway. And I was rejected. I was rejected. So, you know, now I've worked with lawyers an immense amount. I would have hated being a lawyer. I'm so thankful. They've got, you see all these things I asked and knocked, and God's like, no. And so I, I, I had done some work in production in the oil and gas production and I, I thought I do not want to do that that's a boring job I want to be in refining that's where the real action is and uh, so I went and looked I went for a job interview and I'd missed the interview season because I was going to go to uh, work at uh, I was going to go to law school and so at this point in time the job market is really hot then like it, like it has been various times I didn't know anything about recessions or anything 
So I was I was pretty cocky about getting a job. So I sent some resumes out, got a couple of job offers. One was with Exxon, and um, and that, but they they wanted me to go into this production stuff. And I called them up and said, I really don't want to be production. Well, this is gas engineering, gas and facility. Oh, okay, well, I'll do that. They didn't ever put me in gas plant. They put me straight in production. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's exactly what I wanted to do. Well, I went to Exxon because I wanted to be president of Exxon. I figured it'd take 20 years or so, you know, and I'd be there. And uh, not long after I was there, a uh, uh, one of my uh, peers walked in. He's, he's a guy that had the same job I did. And he was a PhD from Delaware. And I said, how, how are you making the transition to petroleum, uh, Dave? Uh, he was a biomedical engineer. And he said, oh, that's fine. It's the same basic stuff. I said, what do you mean, the same basic stuff? And we had chalkboards in our office back in those days. And he took the chalkboard and he said, well, you remember Bohr's Law? I said, no. And he starts drawing these differential equations up on the board. And he says, well, the, uh, the formula for a, capillary, a blood molecule going through a capillary is the same as an a oil molecule going through the pore throat of a rock. And he starts drawing these differential equations. And I thought... I don't even know what he's talking about, and that's who I'm competing with here. What? So I started looking for another job. <laughs> okay, all these things you know, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, and God's like, no, 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 directing me into something where, you know, He put me in a, a place. It's, I've I've gotten doing my life exactly all the things I want. He gave me a a, a rock musician son. He gave me a fantastic engineer son. Uh, I wanted to be a college basketball player. That's another dream I have. He gave me a college basketball player, son. I wanted to be a company president. I got to do that. I wanted to serve my country. He gave me a, another battle to fight that I wasn't expecting, that I'm getting to do in the political arena, and lots of blood flowing. I got my sons involved with me in that, and even my daughters to some extent. So I've gotten all these things totally different way than I ever expected. Because he's good dad. Each way along the each path along the way, I hated it. I, I, I was disappointed because it wasn't working out the way I was working out. So I've seen this. I've seen this thing firsthand. And you know, look. The next thing he says is in this whole kind of do life and the way I'm asking you to do it, and it, and it's and it's the way that'll work out best for you. Don't fulfill your 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 desires by uh, coercing other people. Serve other people and just wait for me. Knock, ask, just keep waiting. Okay, be patient. This life's not very long. I got a long. I got a long plan for you. Uh, to me, and the remainder of my life, I promise you, seems like is going to be going to seem like uh, less time than the two years between sixteen and eighteen for my difficult son. I was talking. About. <laughs> Okay? It's just time is just not very great. It's a wisp of vapor is what we're told our life is. So then he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad the ways that leads to destruction. If we want to go ahead and do this, I'm going to get my needs met through other people. What does it lead to? It has to lead to destruction. Why? People can't meet our, these basic needs we have. If you have uh, two... People that get married and they expect to get their needs from each other, what's going to happen? Two ticks and no dog. Right? One will suck the other dry and then you're done. 
If you try to get your needs met through your job, what's going to happen? It's going to disappoint you. If you get your needs met through your children, what's going to happen? Poor kids, right? You're never going to let them go. They're never going to get away from you. Yeah, they will. They'll run and get away from you at some point. Okay, But if you'll do this narrow gate and seek and ask and say, I, I, I may not understand now, but I, whatever's happening to me must be in my best interest. It has to be. Why? Because God is a good dad. Last thing, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. What would a false prophet want you to do? Well, what? Get it now. And, and then interestingly enough, what method do false prophets use to, to get your... They use words. Oh, works. They, they, use, they use teaching that does what? What's, what does it do? These false prophets. They all do the same thing. What do they want from you? And, and, and how, do they, how do they do that? How do they get your money? How do they get your affection? How do they get your attention? They judge you. Don't they? And they'll exclude you if you don't do what they tell you to do. And they'll promise you things. They're coercing you with their words. They first They, they, they first make them, I'm here to help you, and then pretty soon it starts in, right? Then I'll exclude you, I'll control you. Well, and how do you know that? Because the words, they're, they're not going to tell you they're doing that. They're going to use the most elevated words and stuff uh, like, like they're from God. But you'll know because you can look and see what the outcome of their words are. Their own lives their own uh, and the and their disciples you know what is this leading to okay so there's lots of people who want to take us away from this approach where we just trust God and seek and knock from him because we've got this big human nature problem where we all want to get our needs met from other people and the ones who are the very best at it become false prophets perhaps okay so Ask, not seek. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. This is the path to fulfillment. To actually see others from the perspective, from their perspective, and do for them what is best. My experience in this is the more I have come to know what, uh, or at least think I know, what, what other people's perspective is, uh, the more sadness I've gotten. Because many, many people are really, really dedicated themselves to self-destruction. And can I do anything about it? If they're committed, there's really nothing I can do about it. And it's very sad. I see you you nodding your head. You deal with that every day, don't you? (laughs) In the criminal justice system, those people are really bent on uh, self-destruction. So, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do. But ask seek, knock, because so we have a great dad that wants to give us everything every, everything that we really desire, if we'll follow it his way, he wants to give it to us, and the number one thing he wants us to do is take the plank out of our eye, see things the same, through the eyes of other people, and do what's in their best interest, whether they think that's the case or not 
Your children will never think it's in their best interest for you to do what's in their best interest. <laughs> I have a question. Yes. Um, in that passage with the children and asking and stuff, it says, or what man among you, if what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So to me that has always implied like if he asks for a loaf, he'll give him a loaf. If he asks for a fish, you'll give him a fish. And so that, that's like, well, yeah, uh, you know, James says if you ask and you don't get it, you ask amiss because you're asking for something that actually damage yourself. So I think the point here is God's always going to give us something that's in our best interest. Uh, but do we perceive it that way? I know I didn't and still don't. You know, God, how can this be in my best interest? But what he's telling us here, it is. I'm not giving you something that's bad for you, even if you don't like it right now. And you do, don't you make your kids eat stuff they don't want like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, and, and you know that that'll turn into something good for them. If you could interview them right now, they're a little too small to be able to articulate it, but they, they would probably say something like, Dearest Mother, don't you realize that I can get my vitamins other ways? Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I don't I mean I think you know a lot of times we ask God for stuff we don't need or that's bad. But I also in this passage maybe this is wrong, but I see like sometimes my kid my kid asked me for ice cream. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought of giving it to him, but I'm like, yeah. Sure. Why not? That's fine. You want it? Well, that that's kind of what I think God did with me and my little example on myself is I asked for stuff I would have hated. And God, and so He didn't give it to me. Thankfully, you know, He could have given it to me just to teach me a lesson. That would have been good for me too. Right. Okay. Instead, what He did is He said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And then He gave me something else that was ten times better. That was kind of in the same vein. And that that's my experience with the way God tends to do that. But you know, sometimes we get stuff. We see how could this ever be good, and we just have to trust. You know, maybe it is just is. We don't know how. You know, death. Death is going to get all of us at some point. It's hard to know how can that be good. And Scripture says there's nothing God likes better than one of His saintly ones coming through the door of death. So there's something on the other side. And we say that, but it's kind of hard to really feel that in this life, right? When someone leaves you behind. Well, let's pray. Uh, thanks, God, for this fantastic uh, admonition that we have to love others. We don't have it in us to do that, actually. Um, but your spirit does and your spirit lives within us. So I pray that you'll help us take that narrow gate of walking in the spirit and doing what you ask us to do, uh, which is very so hard because we feel so often uh, like doing something different. And as difficulties come into our life or our life takes different turns other than what we expected, help us know that you are a loving father and have our best interest at heart and are giving us Uh, what we need and and leading us toward this fulfillment that you have in mind for us. At every turn, God, as we get new challenges and new uh, things to learn, I pray that we will not just rest on what we've learned already, but that we'll continue to, to seek and knock all the way to the end of our lives, that we may get the absolute maximum benefit of what you have in mind for us here on earth. I pray that you bless each one of these special people in here this week that they would be able to um, 
hear your voice and sense your spirit and you're giving them an extra dose of your presence this week as they have the opportunity to do unto others as they would have them do unto themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.